I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Road Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from my loft in West Hollywood, Rog, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, it's good to be back, Gavo. I know, a week off, but we needed that week off, Rog, for our big top secret project that we were shooting, which is football-related, Men in Blazers-related, should be coming to some screens near you very soon. Next week. We, did, yeah. we, we took a week. Not much happened while we were away, Davey. No, no, not, not 35 to 36, 38 through a Premier League <laughs> season. Nothing <laughs> happens then, Rog. Um, Rog, we've got to open with an apology to all mothers. And you know this is difficult for me. Uh, for having Mother's Day cancelled on account of the last day of the Premier League season. We take no pleasure in that at all, Rog. Uh, only shame. Yeah, I mean it's. Um, I mean it, this is this is a true moment, Davo. Where I think both of us drop to one knee, with roses and hold them and waft them in the general direction of all motherly figures. We're, we're, we are hosting on the eleventh our first ever end of season Men in Blazers pub takeover at Slanche in the Bowery. GFOPs are coming from all across the country. We just wanted to be together. We wanted to commune. We wanted to thank our. Uh, our listeners, just to, to share the magic culmination of the season, you want to see, of course, what it's like to, to actually own a pub, which is something you're thinking about. That's what I really day. want to do. For me, Men in Blazers is basically going to become, it's not a media business, it's not a podcast, it's not a blog, it's not our TV projects, Rog. It's really just all about being a pub, which is, serves as a platform, perhaps for some other stuff. Yeah, you see yourself in the Sam, Sam from Cheers. I see Cheers many places as a pub and leisure brand. Yeah, but I, I, I see what happens to Kirsty Alley in later life, and I don't want to share that fate. I will say, I feel wrapped with guilt, David. We've had GFOPs phoning into our serious show talking about should they drive down from Boston? It's not only Mother's Day, it's also their wife's birthday. I think we're doing terrible, terrible things. I don't um, see it as much of a conflict. I, I love Mother's Day, though. I admire them. Is Mrs. B there in the crap part of the Soho? Is she sitting at, in my usual seat looking at you with a, uh, with a wooden spoon she's, to your head? She's forever in my head. She's forever in my heart. I mean, there's an old football adage, Dave, that I believe in. Yeah. A, a good manager can make a team 10% better, a bad manager yeah. 30% worse. Trapatoni, uh-huh. I think, said it. I, I was thinking about it in the light of this. This Mother's Day impending doom. A yep, good mother. Is, uh, what percentage right can there. a good mother Hi, make a human B. being better? Hi, Mrs. B. Hundred percent, I'd say. A mother can. Fathers can influence their children about ten percent, roughly, like a good manager. Good mother can change everything. Diego Simeone captured it for me after Atletico beat Chelsea, and uh-huh. he thanked his players' mothers for giving birth to them with balls that big. That's yeah. it. Who's your favourite mother, Dave, other than your own? Well, Mother Teresa, she's a very yes! mother. Yes, yeah, she's on my list. She's a fantastic mother. She's the unbelievable mother to all our children. Yeah, my mum. She's your mum. She's on my list. Yeah. Marge the Simpson. Four, the, the, the 16 mothers of my 17 children, they, uh, they're all on the list. Felicia Rashad. Yes, yeah, Felicia Rashad, she's an amazing mother. Carmela Soprano. Good mom. But it is Mother Teresa. She's, I've read this one before. I found the parrot. This is a, her quote, which I love and I adore, and sums up Mother's Day for me. I found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. The most poetic distillation by Mother Teresa of what it means to be a football fan, David. Does Mrs. B have anything else that she wants us to talk about before we go on with the rest of the football, Rod? Um, she wants us to talk about. Um, 
Men in Blazers on Broadway. Oh, there we go. Men in Blazers on Broadway, Rog. Go ahead. May 30th. Yeah. Celebrate the US men's national team stars going down to Brazil to fight oh. like a knight for our honour, Dave Ho. Yeah. What we can say now is that Men in Blazers' favourite Von Trapps, we can't yeah. say who they are because, of course, the 23 has not been chosen. Yeah. But our favourite Von Trapps will be coming to the town hall on Broadway uh-huh. to celebrate with us so we can bask in their glory. We're also going to pay homage to the 94 team who are celebrating... Von Trapps, past and present, Rod. Yeah, it's their 20th anniversary, those guys, the swashbuckling, stonewashed denim blokes. We're going to get yeah. them. We're going to have the current team, all produced by John Johnson, Dave. Oh, 10... Tony Award nomination, John Johnson. I know, he's so big. How many of those were for Men in Blazers, those Tony Awards, Rod? Um, I just, when I saw 10, I just assumed all 10, Dave. I need yeah. to dig deeper into that one. But it's okay. going to be gorgeous. Save the date, May the 30th. We really, we just want to commune. We want to get our lads on the plane with just the greatest feeling. It's going to be gorgeous, David. Yeah, that's a Friday night, Rog. And then uh, also, Rog, I want to plug this. What? Next Tuesday, May 13th, 7th. Oh, yes. To 8 p.m. I believe this is on ESPN, or it could be on one of the other networks. ESPN. ESPN. I believe it's on ESPN. Uh, there's an amazing film that my great friend and partner and husband of <laughs> the uh, Roger Bennett has been working on tirelessly flying around the world, holding a camera. Like, I imagine you've been, like, doing the little uh, clapperboard at the beginning, like, take five. And you've been doing sounds, you've been holding a boom, you've been like doing the dolly, you've been silencing the crowds, you've been getting release forms. Uh, it's Inside U.S. Soccer's March to Brazil, a six-part behind-the-scenes journey through the uh, Von Trapp's preparations for Brazil, Rog. Yes. And that's the film you've been working on, and it's, this is going to be the being Liverpool of U.S. soccer. Well, I we believe. don't aspire to that level of grandeur, Dave. Um, that's 7 p.m. Tuesday, May 13th. I've been making it with my great mate, John Hart. We've been to six countries in 100 days, followed 39 players. And um, it's like a behind-the-scenes, it's a six-part series on ESPN. And all I'll say is that since 94, when I first fell in love with the US team, one thing has always annoyed me about him, which is we always talk about them as a plucky collective who are kind of more um, than the sum of their parts. And they they, they come into our lives and then they disappear. But for the greater American sports fan, who's not truly a football diehard, they almost seem to be masked men, like we don't get to know them individually. And following them, these remarkable human beings, Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey, Josie, Tim, Kyle Beckerman. I adore Kyle Beckerman. He's going he's gonna to feature heavily in, in episode one. These are remarkable blokes with remarkable human stories who have sacrificed and been kind of propelled by their own dreams. And, and that's really what's driven us to try and do this show and make America develop an emotional connection to these players that will last through 2014, 18 and beyond. So a real honour. Can't wait to see it. Alex, make sure you're recording it in my office. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, we're going to all be watching that next week, Rog. Can't wait for it. Um, Thanks, David. Pack show today, Rog. All of the action, every ounce of agony, cliffhangers, jaw droppers, scoring three goals way too early, Rog. Oh, that mistake again. A week in which almost every team was heard to scream, not in the face, and to mean it. We also have the results of the writer song for the Von Trapp's March to Glory in Brazil oh, competition. Dave, I love that one. Rog, and a real night, not a made-up night, a real night joins us on the show. Our uh, hair hero, Sir Patrick Stewart, jumps on the pod. 
Oh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, that's so exciting. Wait, you forgot him. I can't wait. He's also the voice, I think, of the EA Sports game. I, that's what I'm more interested in talking to him about, but we'll get to it, David. Okay, Rog, I think you've got your uh, Guinness there. I'm going to crack it open. It's 7 in the morning as we record this in Los Angeles. But I must admit, had a bit of a drink last night. So let me just crack open my Guinness here. Here you go. Oh, do you hear that? Oh, God. David, it's time to get serious. So can, okay. can I just say how many... Can you hear that? Yeah. Oh, that oh. is it. Here, is here we go. Breakfast in a can. I will say we got a lovely... Um, we got a lovely tweet. Oh. Breakfast. Uh, from yeah. at Chris Olgood, uh, who noted when we opened the can of Guinness in your office, which I've just stolen another one from, why are they your stash? Uh, he said, I think Embassy Davis's voice got a little deeper after that oh, first sip of well, Guinness I, on the Men in Blazers I, I pod. Don't I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. This doesn't happen. Oh, God, there's, there's nothing like. You know, you sound Guinness like, David. It's a beer that you can drink at seven in the morning. You know, you sound like when you do that, do that voice again, David. I don't know what you sound. That's your Jenkins voice. Jenkins. Jenkins, Jenkins. doesn't exist. He's just your alter ego, David. I tell you, I've never had Jenkins again. I keep. I call the same uh, town car company to take me to the airport every time I'm in Los Angeles. But Jenkins, Jenkins has never. Oh, the Spanish prisoner. The Spanish prisoner. Yeah. I imagine. I imagine when he comes back, he is going to say, "Yeah, I was being held uh, held in an international prison in Barcelona." <laughs> you know. Sometimes you just got to go in with your keys. <laughs> um, Rog, so much football. We're now between 36, 38 and 37, 38 of the season. By the time that you're listening to this, I believe we will be, we will all be the unreducible 37, 38 of the season. Man City um, and West Bromwich Albion play today, I believe. Um, two games. A, this is a week in which everyone that mattered burst into tears, Rog. Ryan Giggs yesterday. Oh, poor Brian Guggsy, uh, John Terry, Ashley Cole, Luis Suarez. English and football's becoming sadder than Barbara Hershey and Beaches, David. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty much. truly sadder than the Tracy Chapman album this week in football. But the big question everyone in football is asking, David, right now is Are we running out of big questions? <laughs> <laughs> that is a really big question. You're right. God, are we running out of big questions? We're going to have to think about some more big questions. Before we get so to the end, some bloody big questions on your Ravens. Go on. Yeah. Okay. Football. Everton two, Rog. Manchester City three. Manchester City demonstrate composure and character to rebound in a game that may prove to be the title winner. They seem to be the only people that want to win it, Rog. Everton condemn themselves to Europa League mm. football, mm. although it's not secure yet, Rog. I'll go through the table, uh, but uh, denies. Liverpool glory by not pulling back. Were the fans really screaming for them to equalise at the end? I'm not really so sure. It was a weird weekend, Dave. It was weird. I mean, just to, because of the rivalries, because of the assorted hatreds, because of the self-loathings, because of the table, this was the week in which football fans went all war, like Game of Thrones. They entered yeah. the minds and the skin of their rivals uh, like... Uh, Wheels within fans. Yeah, like Bran entering his direwolf summer. Everton played City. Many Everton fans cheered for City. Liverpool fans were rooting for Everton. Even United fans cheered for City, who they hate, but they hate a lot less than Liverpool. This was wheels within wheels. At that, Josh Cale, a uh, great GFOP, a Liverpool fan, tweeted this at Men in Blazers. The nerves, the shaking, the impending sense of doom. Is this what it feels like to be an Everton supporter every single week? <laughs> I didn't know what to do, Dave. I, I'll be candid. I didn't know who to support. 
in this game. It was a very, very, it was an emotional roller coaster for me. Yeah, um, I mean, looking at the top of the table, you say that Everton now condemned to Europa League football. Of course, Tottenham could win their next game 19 0, and if Everton lose 1 0, uh, Tottenham could overtake them and make it into Please the Europa do it. League. Please do and it. We're in a Premier League season, Rog, where anything can happen. A season that's been going on since about 1976, in my estimation. But anything can happen. I could see Tottenham winning 19-0. I love it. I would love little more, Dave. I mean, I'd, I'd say at the beginning of this game, because it was still then and there's not now a flicker of hope that we could land fourth place, we still had a little inty-tinty fingernail grip on it. Who to support? It was like a moral philosophy problem. I, I mean, it reminded me of the trolley problem by Philippa Fort. If there's five people tied to the train tracks in an oncoming train, you can pull a lever to divert the train, but there's one person on the other side. Would you pull a lever and save five people but kill one? I mean, it's just like, it, that was the agony I was going through about do I support Everton and the slender fourth-place chance? Do I support City and really be a true fan, but probably an, an awful, awful person reveling in another's uh, in, a, in, in another's defeat but the moment that it became clear Ross Barkley face of a bar mitzvah boy the foot of a grown ass man god what a goal Dave he hit that oh. ball sweeter than a Willy Wonka ball well it's not that he hit it sweetly he hit it so early Rog he took it too early he scored too early by <laughs> taking it too early there were so many too earlies in a row we should have really seen oh, it coming what? fantastic goal you still have this nasty feeling, though, that Roy Hodgson is looking on from the stands thinking, oh, I, I, I don't know if he's ready. I don't yeah, know yeah, if he's quite ready. A lot of talk in England, and I sent you this, Dave, the Daily Mail had got advanced shots of a, a photo shoot the England team had done with GQ in England where they'd modelled their new Marks and Spencer's shiny World Cup suits. And aghast, Dave, there was no Luke Shaw, there was no Ross Barkley, but there was Ashley Cole and there was Frank Lampard. In that 23, what, what, what are you doing? Because that was exquisite. I thought that was the St. Zuzi moment where Ross Barkley was about to become to Liverpool fans what Graham Zuzi is to the entire nation of Mexico. Now, you would say, in normal countries, you would say, look, don't be ridiculous, who is appearing in the Marks and Spencers ad for the suits doesn't in any way determine who the final 23-man party is going to be that's going to go to Brazil. That was shot months ago, no doubt it was done. However, in England, there is this feeling that there is going to be a phone call that goes to Ross Barkley from Roy Hodgson saying, well, Ross, you know, we, we really wanted you uh, to, to take you to Brazil, but unfortunately we shot the ad for Marks and Spencers for the suits and, and we put Lampard in it, yeah, so we, we've got to and, take him. And he's a, how he, it is. He's a yes, th- hey, my hands are tied. He's a 40-inch waist. You're never going to fit into that. <laughs> You never, you see my problem? You see, I, I've got to tell you, when that goal went in, Dave, it was so yeah. gorgeous. I poured a Guinness all over myself when he you scored. Did. With joy. Again, that's, and, that's your ritual now, every single week. And then I realised it put Liverpool in the, in the league title championship seat. Yeah. So I poured another Guinness down my front in anger. And that was the moment that I realised, Dave, that was the moment that I realised that I was a hater. Um, and I started to favour City from that point. Not intentionally, but you know when you're driving and you let go of the steering wheel and the car yeah. just naturally drifts to one side? Yeah, I've never done that. But well, yeah, it just awesome. drifted. My fandom drifted. Uh, and I found myself supporting City. Even though I hated myself for being motivated by hate, I do not want to be that kind of person, but I cannot tell a lie. Yeah, but then goals, Aguero, Edge and Dzeko. Uh, <sighs> they're 2-1 up before the interval. And then Dzeko gave uh, City a second. Um, Anxious last few minutes, Rog, after Lukaku um, <clears throat> put one in, headed one in. 
but ultimately Man City hold on seem to be the only team anywhere near the top of the Premier League who want it, Rog, yeah. who want to win the Premier League. Yeah. What are we missing? There must be some... Is there something... Is there some Ivanovic serum on the uh, Premier League trophy? Is there some problem with it? Is there something we need to know? Well, I mean, I think there's some. There's definitely plenty of room. So much football still to be played for more narrative twists within twists, Davo. Um, but you have to say, there was a moment when Stephen Naismith plundered through in on goal, and it was Joe Hart, um, whose first name is much maligned, Joe Hart, dropped down and managed to get his fingertips to the ball and palm it away. And you realise then, championships, campaigns, titles are won and lost on the most minor margins. I mean, again, you've got Kun Aguero limping off. You wonder, he, had, he has a dodgy groin, what he could have done to Everton, and Tim Howard, who he beat at the near post, if his groin was fully healthy. But again, City come in, they bring in Fernandinho, they look even better uh, without Kun Aguero, which is a fascinating uh, thing. And the only thing that we had to, to, uh, to enjoy was uh, Jekko, where um, he had his standoff with the, uh, with the referee. One of the weirdest... There have been many weird moments in this Premier League season, Roger, but that, Jekko lying on the ground, the referee refusing to acknowledge that he was genuinely hurt. It was just one of the more surreal moments. It was like shades of the federal government shut down for a little second. I did enjoy <laughs> it. Um, but that's it for Everton. The end of the season, we've ended up in the same place, outside the championship league places. I, I feel pain. Um, I, I feel a sense of failure, Dave. A, a sense of failure that we, we didn't grab the opportunity to crack the top four in this year of transition. And we may not get a chance like this again, Dave. But I also feel pride. So much pride after years of watching Everton under David Moyes approach big games with fear. I mean, this team definitely now this season has shown it's got an identity. It's a buccaneering one where, not unlike how Jurgen Klinsmann talks about the American team, we're a team who seek to impose our identity on the game no matter who the opponent is. So I feel great. But then again, the Europa League, you love it, Dave. I've made my opinions totally clear about that. Well, yeah, I would say, Rog as a neutral observer and I've said to you all season and now you think I'm going to pat you on your little head like Benny Hill to his little <laughs> friend but uh, I think this has been a remarkable season for Everton one the replacement of David Moyes who you all seem to think was a fantastic manager with somebody with exactly the right man who is even better the assembly of a squad mixture of youth and experience international players domestic players for me it's almost it's a prototypical, if not perfect, a prototypical Premier League squad. You play football that is adorable to watch, with strength in the middle, with width, with ability to strike. Actually, the only thing you don't seem to have right now is much defensive solidity, uh, much back four solidity. That seems to have disappeared a little bit at the end of the season. But on the whole, front to back, left to right, a really, really good, attractive footballing side who still are tough enough to go and play Premier League football. And finally, I think qualification for Europa League represents a major step forward for this team. I think you're gonna, it's going to be a bit like Gareth Barry, Rog. You're going to say to me next season, you know what, you were right. I'm sorry, Davo. I was wrong. Rog was wrong. Europa League has been fantastic for us. For the development of some of those young players to attract more players on loan from those other Premier League clubs, I think Europa League is exactly what this team needs. And I think Martinez 
is exactly the right manager to go and learn in the Europa League and take Everton that one step forward. Well, we'll say, I mean, that's why they call you positive, Dave. To me, and I made this clear, the Europa League is like catching a dose of herpes after a one-night stand with a supermodel. Financially, it just offers so little stretches a squad that's already... Still, stretched. though, would you turn down that opportunity, Rod? I'm just saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to now play Thursdays and Sundays. We're gonna... I'm talking about the supermodel. Oh, the supermodel? Yeah. yeah definitely. I'm not, I've got to tell you, I love inner beauty, Dave. I love inner beauty. Yeah. To, to, getting back to the Europa League, it's like being given an elaborately gift-wrapped turd. That's what I think. We're going to be going to all parts of Europe, Moldova especially, places that are only travelled by Europa League teams, white slave traders and international drugs dealers. But I can't wait to some degree. 23rd lead change of the season. Big, big City performance ultimately to come back. And my, my, my City friend Berta's texted me. He said, well, we didn't F it up, but boy, God, is it hard to be a City fan. It was a weird game, but I love the end. I love the end. I love the City fans chanting, Steve Gerrard, Gerrard. He slipped on his effing arse and gave it to Denver Bar. Steve Gerrard, Gerrard. Deliriously happy still after that Chelsea goal. That slip, that slip, that cosmic slip by Steven Gerrard, Davo. Proof to me that God does exist. And she's a City fan with Larry David's sense of humour. By the way, talking of Europa League, Roger, which we rarely talk about, we should congratulate Seville and uh, Benfica uh, going to the uh, final of the Europa League. It's been terrific, the Europa League, this year, actually. Yeah, I'm the really ratings, ratings yeah. are going to be through the roof. And it's been a, uh, it's been a good final. Uh, OK, Rog, moving on uh, to one of the most extraordinary Premier League games in the history <laughs> of the Premier League, in the history of football, in the history of leagues, in the history of civilization, Rog. Crystal Palace 3... Liverpool 3, should we just call them Crystal Poolis and get rid of the Palace thing? A shell-shocked <laughs> Liverpool, Buccaneer to a 3-0 lead, then implode, Rog. They self-destruct. Do they choke? I don't know. They skirtle themselves in the last 10 minutes of the game. Barring a miracle, the title now appears to have slipped from their dreaming fingers. A delighted at Sam Nazri 19 tweeted, a certain Sam Nazri 19 tweeted, what a game, what a league. I love Crystal Palace so much, now our turn to do the job. <laughs> what? Last 12 minutes, Rod. Oh, yeah. The last 12 minutes. They are 3-0 ahead with 12 minutes to go. Three goals in 12 minutes, as somebody tweeted us, a reverse Istanbul, Rod. Have you, have you ever seen anything? More remarkable than Istanbul. Have you ever seen Never. anything? I mean, Never. The, the only thing I can think of that was mildly like this, Davo, 78 minutes of great football and then falling away. It reminded me of Michael Moura fighting George Foreman, November 1994. Just that Foreman was old, he was 45, he got battered for nine and a half rounds. And then in the tenth, he just delivered a straight right hand to Moura's chin and became the heavyweight champion of the world. There's a great piece of writing that, um, at the time that said, Foreman brushed him with a range-finding left and uncoiled that tree trunk of a right which came abruptly out of the unknown. And though it only travelled ten inches... It was a punch that had started 20 years before in Zaire and it landed squarely on the chin of the champion, knocking him down and out. A beautiful way of saying what the Crystal Palace fans sang at the end of the game in that cauldron. They're fans of the season for me. 3-0 and you effed it up. 3-0 and you effed it up, David. I loved it. I hated it. I couldn't believe it. I feel terrible for Liverpool fans. I feel terrible for the players, which we'll get to. But it all began so beautifully, Dave. Oh, little Joe Allen, the Welsh savvy, all five foot six of him. What an aerial threat he is. Sturridge <laughs> doubling the lead with his first goal in five. And when he scored it, 
I love Liverpool's reaction. They knew they needed nine goals. I mean, Brendan Rodgers had talked about they were going for nine. And Sturridge just scored. He put the ball under his arm and ran back to the centre circle as if Liverpool were behind. The Liverpool fans, goal difference on their mind, just screaming, attack, 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 attack. They were baying, driving their team forward. Suarez netted a third. Raheem Sterling went all Chris Paul um, and set him up on a plate. Rebecca Lowe, everyone is feeling terrible for Rebecca Lowe of Crystal Palace fan fame, feeling mm-hmm. terrible for her, but terrible a little prematurely. The commentators, David, the whole narrative they were setting up was the not-in-the-face narrative. How many goals would Liverpool score, they were debating. I mean, Crystal Palace at this point were just in the role of Germans in Where Eagles Dare. They were faceless cannon fodder. Liverpool fans chanting poetry in motion, poetry in motion to the tune of Boney M. And then fortune changed substitutions changed the game yeah it's so funny the way you can really tell how unexpected it was is by reading any of the match reports which pretty much two-thirds of them are liverpool going three nil ahead because as you know everybody writes their match reports before the end of the game rod and then they have to like suddenly um you know uh figure out how to like change the narrative at the end of it but they just by attacking and going for it and going for more they just let them back in. And then once they let them back in, the panic that appeared on the faces and in the movement and in the, oh, yes. the demeanour. And you just, what's amazing about football, this communion between player and fan, especially in a ground like Selhurst Park, Rods, where those South Londoners, those South Londoners are just on top of you there. The crowd just willed their eagles on. And it was just an amazing, amazing, amazing atmosphere Congratulations to Tony Poulos. Congratulations to Crystal Palace. Yeah, I mean, Delaney... Um, Delaney. Balassi, oh my God, he looked dominant. looked like one of the best players in the world. He did. For, not even the best player minutes, in the Congo. For 11 minutes. And then Delaney banked one in off Johnson, and then Dwight Gale netted one. Bad poetry in motion. Bad poetry in motion. And you have to ask yourself, Davo, and Liverpool players look like it. They look to me like the Panamanians when the US suddenly overtook them in the game uh, in Panama when they had nothing yeah. to play for uh, they, the, the Liverpool players looked at each other like why are they doing this why, what the Palace have to play for it was just to me it was just pride adrenaline and of course a mortal fear of what Tony Poulis would do to them in the showers after the game and then you had, you had Brendan Rodgers on the sideline you, your point the change in demeanour he spent the whole of the first half kind of peacocking around as he should do he has every right to suddenly he looked less the supreme commander and more a gent whose bowels have just opened wide on the, on, the, uh, on the sideline. And I don't like to be hyperbolic about history, David. I don't. You know that, right? Yeah, you, you know you don't like hyperbole. But it, 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 Brendan Rodgers looked to me as if, if he... It looked like I imagine Hitler did when he realised his supply <laughs> line had just been stretched far too thin as his, as his troops approached Stalingrad. He knew there's nothing he could do to stop it, Davo. Whatever had been done had been done. And then Dwight Gale, the substitute, a man who at age 19 was working as a carpenter and playing semi-professionally, just took advantage of Skirtle being hopelessly out of position for a change. Uh, at Will Rubenstein tweeted at Men in Blazers, he said, Dwight Gale, now tops. Even Yoko Ono on the biggest enemies of Liverpool list. Amazing. At SM Bundy, Liverpool's attack will win the league. Their defence should be relegated. It was an amazing moment. But I see, I don't think this was just about defence, Rog. This was about how difficult it ultimately is to win 
the Premier League. There's some very good defenders on Liverpool, and actually they looked fantastic defensively. They looked superb for the first 78 minutes of the game, partly because they're on the front foot, but they even look good at the back. It's just nerves, the ability to get over the line in a 38-game regular season and beat all comers. Look where Crystal Palace were a few months ago. And much is made of the 10 uh, coaching changes at his 10. It could be 11 now. Um, manager changes in the Premier League this season. Our team shouldn't change manager. That always goes wrong. Poor Tony Poulos. That decision to put Tony Poulos in charge of Crystal Palace has not only saved them from going down, saved them from relegation, it has forged a new breed of team in South London and I've got to tell you, Crystal Palace have a lot more fans in America now than Lady Rebecca Lowe. Yeah, I've got to tell you, I love that goal. Global brand. I love the third goal, Dave. But talking about Rebecca Lowe, I am a bit upset. I really am. That NBC, who have, to me, curated the English Premier League pitch perfectly. Arlo White, masterful. But they, they, why have they not thought of instituting a Rebecca Lowe camp? Mm-hmm. A little box on the bottom right hand of the screen when Crystal Palace play, and we can just yeah. watch her react because she pulls herself together like a professional once the cameras are on her. I want to see her as these goals are flying in. I, I've got to say, when that goal did fly in, the third, the cameras cut to the Liverpool crowd, and to my delight, Dave, to my delight, but I don't know how they did it. Two of my best mates they cut. No, really? Charlie Lander and Andy Young, two lads I grew up with in Liverpool who baited me, tortured me for years, just there, on the brink of tears. You had your revenge. As if they'd been slapped with a wet fish. I, after the game, I opened a bottle of Talisker 18, <laughs> paused the DVR on their faces, and just drank half a bottle, just staring <laughs> at that frozen image. It was beautiful. But I don't, I don't agree, Dave, in terms of what it was. I mean, to me, we've seen this coming. This has been a season in which the hints have always been there. You know, they, they let in two goals to Norwich, three... Um, Two to Man City, they beat Cardiff 6-3, they beat Swansea 4-3, they beat Fulham uh, 3-2. They've always shot their way out of problems. But to me, it it wasn't so much naivete for Liverpool. It was almost gluttony. This was a manager who believed his own press, almost drunk on his own ideas. He believed Liverpool would hammer Palace, that he believed they'd close that goal difference. They kept cutting to him on the sideline, all teeth brighty white, flapping his waxy feathered wings too close to the sun. And at the end, seeing Gerard in tears, seeing Skirtle hitting the ground, showing us his back, which looks very much like my scrotal sack, and seeing Suarez, <laughs> poor Suarez, crying, crying somehow in a more bizarre way than even Carrie Matheson. I mean, boys aren't meant to cry, Dave, but they have all week. You, you name them, Gerard. Ryan Giggs, Suarez sobbing. My, my wife actually thought Daniel Sturridge was faking his tears at the end of the game. She's like, oh, he's faking. Um, but Suarez was confronting karma. Liverpool trudged off with a pain, the kind of pain, Dave, that I imagine Scott of the Antarctic felt when he reached the South Pole and found Roald Amundsen's Norwegian expedition had gotten there first. You know, this is a team that put their heart, their soul, every ounce of their energy into this campaign. Um, they should note that Scott, on the return journey, all of them died from a combination of exhaustion, starvation, extreme cold. But the fact that they lost this lead, Davo, the fact that they threw it away, to me, should not. And I, I don't know what you think. It shouldn't detract from the enormity of the moment um, and the massive collective achievement that their season has been. It's just given us so much pleasure week in, week out over the course of the season. 
Brendan Rodgers after the game, we were outstanding for 78 minutes, we got three goals, looked like we could get a few more, but to concede the three goals at the end was hugely disappointing. At half-time, we said that the most important thing was to win the game. It was not about Roy the Rovers football to make up the goal difference, it was just about winning. Uh, but then at the end, I'm incredibly proud, and when we have had time to reflect on this in the summer, we will see it. It's been an outstanding season for Liverpool. Yeah, and congrats. I mean, NBC, they stayed on the crowd for minutes to capture the, yeah. the moment. I mean, the cameras panicked. They, they look like, to me, the faces of the fans, they look like, you know, when there's been a terrible minors pit collapse and you, they, they show the family. And it was both absurd. It's only a game of football, but it was so true and beautiful because it's what football means to Liverpool after 24 years of yearning. And I just imagined Ole White probably turned off his microphone after the game and just blurted out the words he'd longed to say the whole game. Unbelievable. 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 But look on the bright side, Liverpool fans. You don't have to buy those Warrior jerseys as throwback numbers to remember the title in 20 years' time. Yeah. Well, and also, let's face it, Rog. Man City play today, uh, play tonight, uh, after we record this podcast. And... You know, they still haven't won the Premier League. They're on 80 points. Liverpool are on 81 points. It is conceivable that Man City lose this game. Anything can happen in football, Rog, and Liverpool are back in the driver's seat. Wheels within wheels. Wheels within wheels. Well, certainly one team that definitely look out of it, Rog, although statistically until Man City get a point tonight, they're not absolutely out of it, is, uh, is Chelsea, Rog. Chelsea nil, Norwich nil. What a bizarre end to the season for Chelsea. Near relegated Norwich, end Chelsea's title ambitions with a hard-fought but very low-key draw, Roger. A convenient draw between West Brom and Sunderland this afternoon will doom the Canaries uh, to championship football next season. Yeah, odd stuff, David. It all felt a bit pre-season. I mean, Norwich were gutsy. Um, but the, the focus was on Chelsea. They just didn't seem like a team desperate to keep the hopes of the title alive. There's, there's problems brewing with Eden Hazard. You'd expect him to look furious having been benched. Instead, he was fooling around with a pair of Oscar's sunglasses with a grin that said, yep, I'm off to Barcelona. No one, Davo, no one wants to be the teacher's pet on this team. Oscar's been dropped, Juan Mata's been sold, and now Eden Hazard um, just seems to be kind of slumping off. It's, all, it's a very odd touch he's got with this team, Davo. Yeah, it makes me sort of, I was thinking when we, I was reflecting on the Crystal Palace Liverpool team is, is it possible for a team to be both defensive and offensive? Or is the conditioning of one way... Remember, Mourinho made a real decision after that loss, that 4-3 loss to Sunderland, Rog. He seemed to make a decision that we can't play offensive football anymore. We've just got to go in and we've got to go and play defensive football. And the goals dried up. But they also stopped conceding. And so they managed to sort of win many, many more games than they lost. Is it possible to play both offensive and defensive football? Certainly the Chelsea mindset, their vigour, their energy around defending, um, it seems to stop their ability to find that many goal-scoring opportunities at the, end of the other end of the pitch. I'm not being very articulate on this, Rog, but there's, there's something in mindset, not just in technique or ability or tactics. It's just mindset. It's about balance also, David. This has been a Premier League season from the very beginning where no team has been balanced. We've talked about everybody having obvious uh, glaring weaknesses. City, defensively. Uh, Arsenal, uh, weak on the forward line. Chelsea, weak on the forward line. Uh, Liverpool, I mean we, we, they, our joke, our repeated joke and it's come true is that they, you know, they're Marilyn Monroe going forward. Uh, Arthur Miller at the back. 
Um, every single team has lacked complete balance. And, and talking about the defensive solidity that Chelsea have built their the kind of glory in this era on, I want to know how you felt, Dave. I mean, talks have been ongoing with uh, John Terry, Ashley Cole and, uh, and Frank Lampard, blokes who combined have 1,609 appearances for Chelsea uh, between them, but all are out of contract. 1st of July, Henry Winter tweeted... Lampard, Terry Cole, standing together in front of the Matthew Harding end, waving how many of the three club legends will be here next season. Shut your eyes, Davo. You're feeling sleepy. You're feeling sleepy. Now imagine Chelsea. Now imagine that Chelsea without John Terry, Frank Lampard, Ashley Cole. What do you see? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Chelsea fans, people who hate Chelsea will constantly say, Ashley Cole, John Terry, Frank Lampard, they're sh- They're no good at football. It wouldn't be a loss. Uh, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Ashley Cole have been the backbone of this team. Not only are they not shit, they are exceptional Premier League footballers. And it would be, it would be a great loss to the team. I would say the emergence of Cahill has been outstanding this season. But I have a sense that John Terry has been the first name on the team sheet for much of the season. Um, and often has, um, certainly in the early part of the season, the mid part of the season, John Terry was Chelsea's outstanding defender. Cahill has come on later. Uh, Lampard still capable of contributing so much to the club. He's such an intelligent footballer. Just look at his performance in the uh, first leg at Atletico Madrid. He was outstanding. In some of the big games this season, he's been amazing. And Ashley Cole has come back. I think a lot of people have wanted to see him. You know, promoters of Leighton Baines, promoters of Luke Shaw have wanted to see Ashley Cole come back and be and be shite. And he's come back and he's 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 looked very 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 good. He's a great athlete. He's a tireless worker, and he's got an intelligent football mind. Um, I think it would be a huge loss. Personally, as a Chelsea fan, if the three of these guys go and they're not replaced by other English players, um, my allegiance, my love affair with Chelsea will continue to sour. We've spoken about it before on the pod. It's, uh, I've, I'm less in love with Chelsea now than I was five years ago and ten years ago, and it just will loosen my connection with the club even more. I think Premier League teams need key English players. I think you need them not only for the fans, I think you also need them because they understand the Premier League, they understand the rigours of it, and they can get you through a season. I will be very surprised if all three of those players leave. I'll be very, very surprised if all three of them stay. Um, I can't believe that Lampard and John Terry won't stay very connected to this club and ultimately you know, make their futures behind the scenes there. On to the next. Thanks, Rog. I've got to recover from that. Okay, uh, but by the way, Rog, before we go on to the next, we should just look at where the top of the table actually is right now because this is where we're left at the season, this remarkable season. Chelsea on 79 points, Man City on 80 before they play uh, tonight, and Liverpool on 81. The odds makers, they've got Man City at 1.08 to 1. Uh, that's better odds than California Chrome in the derby. Uh, Liverpool at 10 to 1, Chelsea at 201 to 1. Not mathematically out of it, um, but fairly amazing table. Liverpool top of the table. They've never been so unhappy to be top, Rog. Talking about unhappy, Man United nil, Sunderland won. <clears throat> what a mixed week for Ryan Giggs. Sunderland beats Man United for the first time since 1968 and averts relegation in a miracle season turnaround by Gus Poyer. Good for Gus. Chelsea legend. Giggs then ditches the blazer for a tracksuit and goes all player manager to watch 18-year-old James Wilson score twice on his club debut as United beat Hull. They've unearthed another youngster, Rog. They have indeed. The saviour will get to him. 
Ryan Giggs, though, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. That was what I felt like after watching that Sunderland game. I mean, you love his blazer, David. We should have a word about Ryan Giggs' blazer. Oh, well, the crest is just way too big. I love it. It fits him great. He looks excellent in a jacket. But the crest, that Man United crest, is, is larger than the blazer you tell itself. Me, you tell me it wasn't it's a blazer. A crest with a blazer on the, on the pocket. <laughs> it's like, this crest is like the bigger, I mean, it's like Flavor Flavor's dressed him. I mean, he it's, went, like a Don, it's, like, it's like the kind of blazer that Donald Trump wears with his own <laughs> Donald Trump logo on the front of it. Uh, he won the, his first game against Norwich. And uh, watching it, I, thought, I kept thinking, what must David Moyes think watching United play such rampant football? Must have felt a little bit like Ryan Giggs' brother felt back in the day. Um, but uh, ultimately, the Sunderland game proved there is no genius. And maybe, I, I believe, United just played such rampant football because Ryan Giggs did a trick he could only use once to motivate them. He got Paul Scholes to stand on the treatment table in the locker room, fully in the nude, uh, before the players took to the pitch. Nothing more needs to be done than to expose the players to that horror. But against Sunderland, it was old, old United, litany of defensive mistakes. Darren Fletcher let Connor Wickham, White Josie, chip in the ball. The United centre-backs were static. uh, And Larson nipped in casually to smash home his first goal since... Well, since the Swedish Empire was formed in 1611, and just a whole lot of tactical mess, Young and Nanny given another chance to prove their ineptitude. Um, RVP stumbled back onto the field as a substitute. By the way, Josie, another sub, made an eye-catching cameo. Fine cross, beautiful, beautiful foul he drew from Nemanja Vidic, which really, I think, for, for Vidic was born of a season of frustration. An amazing statistic sums United up. They've not won a single point, Davo in the last 10 minutes of a match, which used to be their killing field. The bully has just become the bullied. But I think United fans will be happy with that loss, bizarrely as it it is to say, because the last thing United needed was four straight garbage time wins for gigs that would make him seem to be the football genius. He's clearly not, David. Yeah. No, really amazing stuff. It's good to see Josie getting into just a little, just a sneak of form at the end of the season and just his body language just his demeanour uh, looking better yeah. uh, definitely but not better. as good as James Wilson the man so young 18 uh, who scored twice against Hull that Ryan Giggs had already played 241 United games before he was born Dave Out. truly wow that's kind of mind-blowing tribute to old Ryan how quickly Dave Out, will James Wilson go from complete unknown to Manchester United's future to a £350,000 uh, a week salary demand to Manchester United want to wait to playing for Sunderland very, very badly. How, that's the kind of, that's the cycle of, uh, uh, of, of a career art that we've seen at, at Old Trafford a lot over the past eight years. He looks like a decent footballer. He's got speed, he's got technique, he's got skill, he's just got a nose for goal. And there aren't that many footballers, Rog who can put the ball in the back of the net in the Premier League. His stock has definitely risen, but I think he looks like the real deal. He's come out of, once again, a very good um, Manchester United youth system. Um, and I think kind of impressive. And phew, I think the big question is Roy Hodgson thinking of putting him on the plane and sending him to Rio. That's what could happen immediately. <laughs> that would be the worst thing that could happen. He's the English Machida. I did love, at one point, the cameras cut to Sir Alex and he appeared to have fallen asleep in the stands. Poor bloke's gone in 12 months from the, the greatest manager of all time to Grandpa Simpson. Yeah. And JC Turnbull wants to know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how upset do you think Jose Mourinho is that he can't sub himself on in games? <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll see. He was never much of a footballer, Rog. Uh, one note in this game, Phil Jones, Rog, with a uh, alarming-looking shoulder injury, could keep him out of the World Cup. Stonesy. Of course, John Terry. Nobody's going to consider John Terry for the World Cup. But your boy, John Stones, you're one of your son's favourite players, Rog, uh, could be going to rear. <sighs> yeah, it's going to be all Liverpool, all Everton. Nothing can stop us now, David. Finally, Rog, Arsenal won, West Brom nil. Cue the confetti cannons. Arsenal win their fourth place trophy again. Fourth place again to have the last laugh at all doubters, thanks to an early goal from Olivier Giroud. Yeah, a great quote from Wenger before the game. He said, football has changed. The last result now rules everything in an emotional rather than a rational way. I don't ever remember there being a rational anything to do with football, but I think he's absolutely and completely right in terms of the how the internet has changed the, the footballing news cycle. But you look at Arsenal's season, Davo, from title pretenders to kind of crap, to free fall, to spiral of doom. And it turns out they're always back where they were, Davo. The rest was all a dream, or, or was it? How do you kind of... Well, no, but I think there's a lot of... right. Look, the Premier League season equals a lot of things out. And I think that Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal were the best four teams in the Premier League this season, and they're finishing on top. That's how it goes. I think Everton were the best of the teams following, and they finished in fifth. And the rest of the table has sort of equaled itself out. And it, you look at the results, and you go down, and you look at the order of the table, and you think, yeah, that's all accurate. That's pretty fair uh, all the way down. You look at a team like Crystal Palace, and you think, wow, they were playing better at the end of the season than that. Um, certainly their second half of the season was outstanding. Liverpool, their second half of the season, better than anybody else's at the top. Um, but it's a 38 game season and I think results do equal themselves out over time. At Mesher 243 tweeted at Men in Blazers, when is the last time Arsenal won a double? Hashtag FA Cup, hashtag fourth place trophy. Yeah. Uh, Rog, quickly, huge game tonight at the bottom part of the table. Sunderland uh, versus West Brom. Um, this could be any point for Sunderland. That's going to condemn Norwich City to being relegated as well. Yep. And we'll go into the final weekend with knowing uh, the three teams who are going down. Well, Norwich, all, Fulham and Cardiff. All credit to Sunderland. I mean, April the 7th, they were thrashed by Tottenham 5-1. Uh, they lost a squeaker to Everton. Uh, they tied City. But since then, they've beaten Chelsea, Cardiff and United. Uh, the miracle that Gus Poyet suggested his team needed has come true, even though to me the miracle of Sunderland is whenever I see Jack Colback and his gingy hair in that luminous yellow, doesn't do him any favours, but Fulham and Cardiff topple through the moon door, goodbye to both of them, Um, I mean it was brutal watching Fulham, that shattered Steve Sidwell, talking about how the team had had the stuffing knocked out of them, a pathos filled Felix McGath, less a manager, more just product placement for Warby Parker, talking about the sorrow he feels. He said this is worse than losing in two World Cup finals, which he did. Being the second best team in the world is not as bad as being at the bottom of the Premier League. What a season for Fulham. Three managers, 83 goals conceded, just a team of reheated old has-beens like that movie Red. And Shahid Khan, a consistent man owner, that's what we've proved. Uh, he's terrible in the NFL. He's been terrible, terrible in the English Premier League. Uh, and I feel terrible for him. And I, I feel terrible for the fans, Davo. Full America, all those loyal American fans who are now going to be wandering around sports bars like lost puppies now that Fulham have ended their 13th season stay in the Premier League. Yeah. Cardiff, Maybe. though, worse. 
Yeah, terrible situation. Cardiff worked so hard to get into the Premier League, uh, and it's going to be so tough for them to get back right now. Lots of questions, lots of you know relationship heavily, 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 heavily soured even further between the fans and the ownership of that club and not even a great faith in uh, their manager. Yeah, I mean, it's not, all I say, it's not quite as cool as it once was to stick your jersey into your undies and walk <laughs> not around. Quite. But you think about these fans who travel with the team week in, week out, having to deal with, in both situations, and at in, and in Newcastle, owners who are treating the team as if they're some kind of a home science kit they can just fiddle around with. Um, I mean, you have, the, you have the Newcastle team um, en masse. Some of the fans, about 8,000 of them, walked out in the 69th minute to protest the way the team is being run. And it does, it breaks my heart. All of these passionate football cities are being impacted perversely by their owners. Proud regions, beautiful cities, it's borderline criminal. Yeah. Okay, Rog, an amazing guest today. One of my favorite actors and just such an interesting, funny human being, despite his intensity on stage, or maybe because of. <laughs> Patrick Stewart. Our guest today is the Murfield, England-born legend of stage and screen. As a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company in London since 1966, a glorious year, a glorious year. He starred in over 60 plays, including As You Like It and King Lear. He played Captain Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation, one of the most successful syndicated series of all time. He was knighted in recognition for his service to the arts, Proof that the Queen herself loves EA Sports FIFA game as much as we do because our guest did the voiceover for the FIFA 14 commercials magnificently, we might add, magnificently. And you can see him as Professor X in X-Men Days of the Future Past coming out on May 23rd. But we're elated. We are elated to be joined by the second best bald actor in the world after Iron Robin. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> Live from Park Slope, Brooklyn, it's Sir Patrick Stewart. Oh, well, thank you. How am I expected to be, follow up that? Just by being yourself. Just by... Because I've wanted to interview you, Sir Patrick, since 2011, when I read an interview with you. I think it was in The Guardian. They asked you, which living person do I most despise? And you said, if I answered honestly... Every Manchester United supporter would come looking for me, so I prefer to remain <laughs> silent. <laughs> yeah, I've had cause to regret that remark. <laughs> it was maybe a li little hyperbolic. <laughs> it's, can you, you're a man after my own heart. Can, can you just describe the roots of your... Well, I won't say hatred, because you've probably downtoned it a little bit since then, but, but the, what was behind that? Oh, well, you know, there are traditional rivalries in soccer, aren't there? Um, um, uh, many of my pals who are Huddersfield Town supporters, lifelong supporters like me, they have a deep and profound loathing for a club just seven miles away from where we play that go under the name of, well, usually it's Leeds, asterisk, asterisk, DS. Um, <laughs> they won't even write the name. Uh, and, and I have um, at times had, had something of that kind of relationship with Manchester United. You know what it is? It's constant success. 
and I know there are other clubs uh, who are successful in, in the UK, but perhaps none of them in the last 20 years as successful as Manchester United. And it's just the British temperament, the British nature that, you know, you only want people to be successful for a certain amount of time, and then you kind of hope that they fail or something bad happens to them. I mean, I found it in my own business as well. It, it, here in the United States, where I spend a lot of my life, um, success is something which is mostly uh, thought well of and, and applauded. In the UK, people are a little bit suspicious of, of, of too much success and the feeling that perhaps, perhaps somebody begins to think that they're, they're too full of themselves, you know. Well, I simply developed very quietly and gently until that interview that you just mentioned. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, 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 the same relationship with Manchester United. Let me make it clear. Over the years, some of the best hours I spent sitting in front of a television screen have, be, have been watching Manchester United. And I'm a northerner. And uh, I've been supporting soccer since I was since the 1940s, and so I've seen some great players and great clubs play. And if it ever came down to a north-south divide, of course, if you ask me, would I rather follow Manchester United or Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, West Ham, Fulham, any of that lot? Well, you know exactly what kind of response you would get. So it's a little bit tribal that response. I'm afraid, and but I'm I'm sure Sir Alex and everybody at Manchester United have a deep and profound understanding of that, and will treat my remark with complete sympathy, not to say affection. I, I, I think that is most certainly the case because even in a country where they loathe success, you, you seem to me to be universally admired and beloved. But in that same interview, you were asked, "Who is the greatest love of your life?" And your answer was Huddersfield Town Football Club. This, for, for Americans, as you say, it's a team in the championship, the mighty Terriers. Can, can you describe to, to our audience the role this club, this beautiful little club, the peculiar joy they give you and the role they play in your life? Well, I have to put that remark into a little bit of context because <clears throat> in, mostly people expect me to be rather solemn serious and, and uh, not with many jokes or, or, or humorous aspects to my conversation. So in order to surprise them, I usually look for something that's a little unexpected and lighthearted, if possible. Um, and that's what lay behind the remark of the love of my life. Of course, you know, I, I have a wife just indoors. Um, and uh, uh, it, it would be completely unfair to say that I love my club more than I love Sonny, uh, it, because it wouldn't be true. But um, nevertheless, it is a curious emotion that fills one, and I, I know I'm talking to many who experience the same thing, when it comes to the the, the football team that you support, and in my case have supported since I was taken to the, the first uh, uh, home game by my uncle at seven years old. That would, have been, that would have been 1947, I would imagine, just two years after the end of the war. Um, and even during the years when I was living in California, when I was in Hollywood for 17 years, on um, 
on a Sunday morning when the, the you know, 35-pound Los Angeles Times landed on my doorstep, <laughs> I would leave through the 35, 40 supplements to find the sports pages, immediately turn to the English soccer results, and look up, first of all, how Huddersfield had done, even when I wasn't that closely connected with the club. And there was, and I'm sure all fans who who live abroad at times or travel have had this experience. There was the time, I think, when we were playing Port Vale at home, and the result said Huddersfield Town 1, Port Vale 11. <laughs> that moment, Russia... What the hell happened? How could this have come about before realizing, no, 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 no. It has to be a typo, you know. Well, what they all could I, never... I think the know. internet was only invented, Sir Patrick, so that you could follow Huddersfield Town more closely and more accurately. There's a great story uh, about you <laughs> watching you. a live stream um, in Montreal while you were shooting X-Men of a Huddersfield game um, and your hotel fire. There was a fire in your hotel room. The place burned down. <laughs> And you begged the, fire, the fireman to let you back into the burning hotel so you could keep watching the stream. That's, that's right. I, I, you know, you never take these fire alarms seriously when they first happen. But in this case, I pulled up the blinds in my, in my room and I was looking into a burning neighboring hotel room. I mean, the flames were leaping up. And so I got out of there and got out so fast I left my laptop behind. And, and this critical final game of the season in the season before the one that's just ended, was I had you know because I tune into Radio Leeds and I stream the commentary, and uh, I was down in the street and my laptop was up in my room, um, and I I did everything I could to persuade the fire chief to let me go back in again. <laughs> I, 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 I pictured you just having the mental process that any football fan would have, where they're like evaluating one eye on the flames, one eye on the game trying to calculate in your head exactly how high the flames have to go before you kind of, you, you kind of bolt for the window frame. That's right. But, I, I also... but you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to understand they were Canadians. And not only that, they were French. They were, they were French Canadians. And, it, it, you know, if I'd been talking about hockey, for example, it would have been another matter. They would have all gone inside with me to rescue my laptop. Yeah, but as French Canadians, they, they, would have, they, they would, knew they would have never lived it down professionally if they'd let Captain Jean-Luc Picard pass away on their watch. I, 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 read that <laughs> I read that your childhood dream was to be a footballer, that you used to even take your boots, or cleats as they call them here, around your neck two games in case it was an injury. I did. I, 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 did. I did for a while. And my, my fantasy was that, you know, <laughs> w one day the club manager, you know, would, would, would turn to the crowd and say, Patrick Stewart, are you out there? Because if you are, we need you. <laughs> And I would rush across the beach, get, get into the strip. And I had my boots with me, of course. Um, I never really fully understood why that didn't come about, because it, to me it was so rooted, not in a fantasy, but in, in a genuine belief that one day I would be needed. The call would come, but it happened. But then, of course, there was, there was that morning, one morning, when there was a big England game coming up, and I suddenly realized it was never going to happen. Don't I was not going to make it into, Don't in, on that, into the England squad. <laughs> you're 73. You're only 73. England sometimes need an experience. They need a steady hand on the tiller. Roy Hodgson listens to this show. I'll let him know that you're available. I mean, I, I, another, you, you mentioned your, your, your now wife, Sonny. Um, a great quote I read mm -hmm. from you that I loved. 
the great test for any girlfriend is can she explain the offside rule? If she can, she's a keeper. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, of course, it did not apply in the case of Sonny because Sonny has almost zero interest in sports of all kinds. She is a skier and was actually a, a, a downhill racer. Um, uh, but when it comes to organized sports, no, no interest at all. However, I think if I were to bring her to the phone right now, I think she would have a fairly good shot at explaining the offside rule. Yeah, oh, she will I've when she to, listens. I've she will very short. Within five minutes of listening to this interview, I would imagine that she will probably brush up her, uh, her understanding of the FIFA <laughs> rules and regulations. And I, I want to ask you, um, I love your Twitter feed. A lot of uh, our listeners adore it. You've got such a playful sense of yourself. It's kind of trippy, almost psychedelic as a follow. Uh, and it's, you get a sense that you are, and you've talked about playing against type, that you're expressing yourself as you really are. I mean, I particularly love the, the, the pre-Super uh, Bowl photo with you in a, in a Seahawks jersey and, uh, and McKellen uh, wearing the Broncos jersey. Many Americans would consider this to be soccer's greatest day ever in the United States. Others would have probably considered it to be the NFL football's worst. But you, you moved here to America in 1987. You've witnessed football did, growing yes. precipitously. I mean, football's profile, Sir Patrick, is just growing precipitously in this time. We had a tweet from a listener at Topical Storm who said, let's pretend it's star date 41873.1. Has the USA won the World <laughs> Cup yet? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. I, I, you know, they, they are playing some extraordinary fine football here in the United States. From time to time, I, I do turn on and, and watch. Um, I saw uh, 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 a Galaxy Seattle game not long ago. Phenomenal. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was really outstanding. Yeah, we will. You know what? We will take you. We will go to a game here in the U.S. together. I adore it. With, with comments like that, it does make me believe that USA, are, I mean, we are, we are close. Not star date 41873.1 for winning the World Cup. I think it feels even closer to that. Yes, I absolutely agree with everything you say. <laughs> um, two closing you questions. You can just add that on to every interview that you give from <laughs> now on. <laughs> two, two closing questions on topics of great human import. You, you went bald age 19. You, you briefly, briefly yeah. had a comb-over. I would love, I'd love you to tweet out a photo of that comb-over. How has being a bald man informed your sense of self, Sir Patrick? Well, it totally undermined it for some time. I mean, because I lost most of my hair over the period of one year. And there was, you know, I was not ill, thank the Lord. Um, but it was, uh, it was genetic. Uh, you know, my father, my brothers, they'd all lost their hair. And uh, I thought that if not my life was over, that one aspect of my life was over, which was the romantic aspect of it. I don't know. No, you know, girls are ever going to look at me again. They're not going to go out with a 19-year-old bald man. Their partners will be bald soon enough without actually starting out with some poor chap who's bald. So it was it was challenging for me for a while. Of course, professionally, what I found very quickly was that with the help of a brilliant toupee, and I spent uh, more money than I could afford on having one made, I could sell myself to directors, directors in regional rep who were looking actors to form a company i could sell myself to them as two actors for the price of one 
one with hair, one without. See, and it, it actually worked. I mean, the wonderful David Scase at Manchester Library Theatre. I, I, I am certain that initially that's the main reason for him employing me, that he was getting a great deal. I think John J. Shelby's done something very similar at Swansea City. But the, uh, the, the, you, you, you are, as I said, you're 73, you've suffered heart disease, but you recently said, this is beautiful, I can honestly say I'm having more fun these days than I've ever had. A lot of it to do is the work that I do, a lot of it is having gotten things sorted out better. We've got a lot of young listeners who listen into this show, Sir Patrick. Can you just finish off by offering them a, a learnt truth about life that will serve them well? Oh, I've got one, yes, and, and you, you, you may know I'm Chancellor of the University of Huddersfield, and whenever I attend a graduation ceremony, this is something I always make a point of saying, to understand that they are unique individuals. So far, despite technology, we cannot clone people yet. It will come, but right now, every one of us are unique and special, and I tell my students at Huddersfield that it is that uniqueness that's sets them apart, and makes them important because nobody else has to offer exactly what they have. Therefore, they have to be as brave as possible and believe in themselves, have faith in themselves, and above all, have faith in their own instincts because it's your personal instinct that will bring you success. Holy crap, I've got to tell you, I'm listening to you. I'm ready to run through walls, Sir Patrick. We've got to get rid of Roy Hodgson. We've got to get you in the locker room before England's first game down in Brazil. Oh, dear. Those, I love that. Those English footballers, they'll think, oh, Professor X from the X-Men's telling us to go out there and give our all. That is what we need. Professor X and the X-Men, days of the future past. It's coming out on May 23rd. Sir Patrick, this has been an absolute, an absolute delight. England in the World Cup, can we get a prediction? Um, I, I would happy, I'd be happy to see them in the last eight. Oh, from the mouth of a dreamer, Sir Patrick, thank you, Godspeed. And you too, I've enjoyed this very much, thank you. Oh, David. Were you scared at any point in that interview, Rod? Um, Honoured. <laughs> Honoured. He's the uh, he's the Englishman we all long to be, but all of us know. He's like the English uh, David Silver to me. Yeah, and he played a Frenchman on Star Trek. That's what's so remarkable. We still love an Englishman who played a Frenchman. <laughs> it's just quite remarkable stuff. Uh, okay, Rog, uh, the Men in Blazers song contest. Our call for a search for a song for USA Brazil 2014 was met by a thunderous response from GFOPs. You blow us away week after week after week. All we can say is the Venn diagrams that connect English Premier League fans <laughs> with Andrew Lloyd Webber's <laughs> wannabes overlap almost perfectly. Yeah, who, who knew how many of you listeners are obsessed with Let It Go from Frozen? Unbelievable yeah. to me. News, news to me. Thousands of entries, Rog. Uh, and let us remind you again of the prizes. The world's only Men in Blazers customized Xbox One courtesy of EA Sports and a limited edition Men in Blazers t-shirt. Only five exist in the world. Uh, from our friends at Bumpy Pitch. We've narrowed it down to five. It was so hard, gonna... Dave. It was so, we got thou it was so hard. So we got it down to a final five, right, with John Johnson's help, our theatre yeah. producer. Yeah. Tony, nom multiple Tony nominated, uh, Tony Award winner. Uh, he's a Broadway legend, and he's only 24. Um, we're going to put these up on our website at meninblazers.com, and your vote will decide 
and the winner will be performed live at the town hall that we're doing with Von Trapp's past and present uh, on May 30th, Rog. Can I just say, he didn't make the cut, but there's, there's one I really like, Dave. I don't know if there was one that you liked too. But yeah. I love Drew Danier Vargisi's effort to rewrite We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. Yeah. And he flipped it into We're Not Gonna Take It. A, oh, a, a beautiful poet, piece of poetry about the history of USA Ghana. Close, but no musical cigar. Yeah, I want to give an honorary mention, Rog, to Mark Simmington. Uh, he tried to chant some lyrics into the tune of 99 Luftballons uh, by Nene. He did go with the English version, <laughs> not the German version. The German version probably would have put him in the top five, but uh, that was very, very clever. All right, David, to the five. Okay, the five. First of all, Brian Platts. A great, a great collection of names, by the way. Brian Platts, to the tune of Country Roads by John Denver. Future memories of the group stage, beating Ghana, Portugal, dismantled. Then the Germans, what a big surprise. Only need four more wins. Tears come to my eyes. Se- uh, second entry, Dave. Matthew Grant, Royals by Lord. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, what a lyric, Smith. Everybody's like, you've got Ghana, Germany, Ronaldo, Spain, France, Belgium, Uruguay, Mexico. We don't care. We won the World Cup in our dreams. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And the, the best line is he reads out hundreds of players we don't have, and he ends it by saying, listen, son, we got Becker, man. Beautiful piece of half-rhyming. Definitely, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, from Craig Copeland, Rod, to the tune of Favourite Things and the Sound of Music, one of our favourite songs. Miola and Keller and Howard goalkeeping, Dose Acero and the Mexicans weeping, November in Denver, Columbus in spring. These are a few of our favourite things. I'll see you that and I'll raise you Peter Backoff, who's yeah. taken Born in the USA by the boss. Yeah. And he's turned it, it's quite brilliant this, he's turned it into Born on a US base. Oh, that's the USA. It is truly. I mean, born down near a Deutschland town. Um, it goes on and on. And then there's a great, great moment where um, he goes to speak to the German football. Uh, tried out for the Mannschaft team. Coaching man says, son, if it was up to me, went down to see Coach Klinsmann. And then it ends with him saying, he said, son, don't you understand now? He said, we're your brothers in L.A. You'll get every chance to play. I stayed there. I'm now USA. It is a gorgeous, it's pathos-driven. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And finally, Rog, from Matt Anderson to the tune of Wagon Wheel by Old Crow Medicine Show. Win it, boys. Headed down south to the land of the Samba, winning our way to the Maracana, staring at the shot and praying Timmy saves it. I think we've spread ourselves across many musical genres. But I we have really to did. say, the, these lyrics, I went to see Beautiful, the Carol King musical the other day. Yep. I'm trying to appeal to I can't stand going to Broadway but I'm trying to make an effort for my wife I can't believe you went and saw that oh, oh, Mrs B she has more power than ever I cried actually at several points in the in the musical but um, I feel like these lyrics many of them actually surpass even the great Carol King well oh, they're saying something Rog ok your weekend looks like this the final day of the season will be broadcast across all of the NBC networks uh, every single game Rog I believe that the pre-show starts on CNBC and then moves over to NBC Sports. I can't believe that NBC Sports Network have anything more important to show than Rebecca Lowe's hair and her outfit for the final day of the Premier League season. I, I, uh, I'm looking at this list of channels they've got football on. Because they're playing yeah. every, this is kind of amazing what NBC has yeah. done. And by the way, we should take a second to praise Arlo White, who did three games in three days over the weekend. I mean, that is a remarkable feat. I'm guessing, I'm expecting at this point, um, that he's going to be broadcasting 
um, all ten of the final, uh, all ten of the final. We'll games be very disappointed time. if he's not. Let's, uh, let's yes. just put it that way. But who the hell is going to be on the Sci-Fi Channel, Davo? Tottenham Hotspur. Oh. God, yeah, well, that's going to be interesting. Tottenham that's Aston Villa really on the Sci-Fi Channel be magic. That's going to be really interesting. Who's going to be on Esquire? Who's going to who's be on Oxygen? Who's going to get there? Oxygen. <laughs> oh, Bad Girls Club. Right. It's all. Who are the Lee Catamol has got to make Oxygen. <laughs> Telemundo, Rog. Who goes on? Who goes on Moon Two? Yeah, amazing networks showing it. Even Bravo, my own beloved Bravo, uh, showing Premier League football. I'm very proud. I'm going to wipe a tear from my eye. Many ways to connect to us, Rog. One is our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items big or small, just click off the Emporium page, and Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. In its honor, we birth the feature Emporium Choices of the Week, in which we will both post what we are reading, listening to, or watching. So, Rog, what have you put in the Amazon store this week? Ah, amazing book by a beautiful bloke, Alex Bellos, English journalist. Truly beautiful bloke. He's just... uh, um, been interviewed for a movie I've been making about the Brazilian football team, There Is No Tomorrow. He wrote the definitive kind of cultural analysis about the unique role football plays uh, across the continent of Brazil. It's called Football, the Brazilian Way of Life. That's F-U-T-E-B-O-L. Um, it came out um, a couple of years ago. He's just reissued it with a, a new uh, couple of chapters to catch it up. He's travelled across Brazil no one's captured it better. This book actually has sold so well in Brazil. Um, and when I saw him a couple of weeks ago in London, Dave, he told me a great story about Manaus, a city which you and I are going to be going to. He, yeah. said, he said that when he was there, this is eight years ago, it was just like complete Wild West backwater, complete Wild West backwater. And when he got there, they're all like, you must, you must just go to one bar. It's just a bar you have because foreigners should, it's too wild, this city, too wild for foreigners to see with their own eyes. Go to the one like smart kind of, like, essentially they made him sound like this bar was like the equivalent of the Four Seasons, like it was the high, le- high level bar. He said he walked in. There was just him and, a, and a, a couple on their first date at another table. And he ordered a beer. And then when he looked over again, the, uh, the couple having their first date, the woman was then up on her on the table and the man was pleasuring her just in full sight of day, which made me both appalled and bizarrely excited to go to this place with you, Dave. So football, the Brazilian way of life, a beautiful, beautiful read. Well, thinking about our trip to Manaus, Rod, but also with yeah, summer fast approaching, in uh, the United States of America. I'm heartily recommending the following product. Repel one ounce insect repellent pump spray, Rog. The Repel 100, better than the cutter for me. Just spray it all over. You know what? You don't even need aftershave or eau de cologne, Rog, when you've got some Repel 100 around your ankle, around your neck and your upper arms. Uh, It'll put hair on your chest as well, Rog. You need Repel 100 for all of your insect repelling needs. You've been studying up on the shots we need for Brazil. I tell you, I'm going to have 22 shots in my ass. Uh, That's purely, you know, voluntary. And 20 20 of them you actually don't need. um, I tell you. I'm just just going with bleaches, old school style. Yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. I'll say also, when we're talking about product, we are about to launch our official Men in Blazers World Cup survival kit. Uh, as designed oh, by GFOP. I saw the product. I saw the product in Los Angeles last week, Roger. Ian Hutchinson, beautiful bloke. It's a limited edition, um, but we wanted to develop something so that GFOPs could recognise other GFOPs in Brazil or in bars across America. These things, just email us if you want to find out when we're going to put them up, and we'll email you because we really do want them to go into the hands of GFOPs and not onto eBay. 
Yeah, not into the touts, not to the ticket touts. Yeah, without any doubt, Rog. Um, so that's good. And I'm meeting with that uh, lady this morning about our big cupcakes idea. And um, I'll get back to you on that too, Rog. <laughs> um, uh, for new fans, new listeners to the pod, new GFOPs, uh, you know what? Go onto iTunes and find our best of album, um, Men in Blazers Unbuttoned. Now that's what I call suboptimal. Rog, I saw some emails from you and Dana this week. We seem to be working on a new one as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be even worse than the first one, Dave. <laughs> even more suboptimal. Uh, you can follow us at meninblazers.com. Follow us on Twitter at MC Davies, at Rog Better, at Men in Blazers. Like us on Facebook. Email us, meninblazers at gmail.com. Send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunk, Rog. Oh, war pig. Who wants to sex Mutombo? Feral donkeys. Courage. Size the day. Is that your analysis? <laughs> Kung fu fight in America. Love you, David. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.